Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Gary Chevalier. How many of you guys remember report cards like that from when you were young, right? Yes, now that particular kid, if you'll notice, got an F minus. How do you get an F minus? <laughs> well, actually, the grading system was a little different back then, if you recall. And so you got grades on things that were not necessarily just math and science and history, but you got grades on citizenship and character and penmanship and other things like that, like hygiene um, was on there. And so, you know, there was the U, which was unsatisfactory. That's what all the bad kids got. And then there was the N, which is needs improvement. The F was not F like we think, but F was fine. Okay, then there was S for satisfactory, which is better than fine, but not quite as awesome as the last one, which is the E. And E is excellent. And we all strive for those E's. We wanted those E's. And so today, we begin a series called E is for Effort. And effort begins with an E, but also we want the E for excellence by our report card on effort. Did you know there are nine times in the Bible that God says, make every effort to this? Nine times. We want the E to go in that column for make every effort on these things. And so today we're going to start off with this one in Romans chapter 14, verse 19. It says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. All right, so underline make every effort because that's what this series is about. Make every effort to do what leads to peace, which peace is basically just a lack of strife, and mutual edification. And that's really just the Bible's fancy way of saying, I lift you up and encourage you, and you lift me up and encourage me. And together, we are both lifted up and encouraged. And the Bible says, make every effort. And this is not God saying, if you want to, if you get around to it, you know, if, if it's convenient for you. God says, make every effort. Do everything humanly possible for peace and mutual edification. Because encouragement, that edification process, it lifts us up. It makes us feel good and positive and gives us a positive outlook just on life and things. Even, even when things around us are bad, we can be encouraged and edified. And it gives us faith and trust in God when we feel that way. Now, the opposite of that is strife and backbiting and just general meanness. And, you know, we all can think of somebody that is that mean, unpleasant kind of person the ones that are always complaining that never have a good thing to say about anything or anybody. All right, you're thinking about them right now. You know, maybe it's the person that sits in the cubicle next to you or gets on the same bus that you get on. Maybe it's the person that lives above you in the apartment complex. Maybe it's the one that lives below you that you can't sneak past their door without them coming out and saying something like that. Maybe you're related to that person in every holiday is filled with yeah, yeah, yeah about everything that's wrong. It's tedious to be around that kind of person, isn't it? So we ask, how do, how do people get that way? How do you get consumed by that negativity? I think the answer is this. 
When you place your life's focus solely on yourself and your comfort and your desires, you're going to be massively disappointed because the world and the people around you will never measure up to that. You will never be in a state where everything that you want is the way you want it. And that drives you to become that unpleasant person. You will be bitter, spiteful, and a complainer. So is anybody in this room, is that what you want to do? Anybody want to be a spiteful, bitter complainer? Uh, Yeah, I didn't think so. That's not who I want to be. That's not who I want to hang around. So how do we do that? How do we not become that person? And God knows that human nature tells us that if we put our focus on others, we will not become self-centered and soured. And that's why he says in Romans, do everything possible. Make every effort for peace and mutual edification. So today, we're going to answer that question. How can I be an encourager to those around me? So if you take out your message notes, answer number one, I can encourage by my words. The Bible is very clear. Your words have power. It says it multiple times throughout Scripture. Words have the power to build up and tear down, to destroy or to be, speak blessing. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. So, encourage one another and build each other up. Circle that phrase, Build each other up. Because the word there in the Bible for the word build really is the same word that we use for build. It's talking about construction. It's talking about taking components and adding them together to create something, a structure or a building or something that's wonderful. So like I have great joy driving around up and down, you know, the Grand Parkway right now. And yes, even 1093, I know the traffic is a little wonky. But seeing all the buildings going up and thinking about the great things that are coming and the beautiful structures that they're going to be, I love watching it go from ground to slab to framing to finishing to this beautiful place. And it's going to make my life better. There's a Lowe's coming in right down the road. There's, I live down by Waterside. There's an HEB that's in framing right now. There's a Star Cinema Grill that's coming right over here off 1093 in Peak Road. And I had one of those when I lived in Missouri City. Love Star Cinema Grill. Can't wait for that one. And up on Mason Road, there's going to be a Canes. Oh. (laughs) Can we just pause for a moment and celebrate the sweet, creamy goodness of cane sauce? And if you have never been to Canes, or if you don't like Canes, it's okay. We, we accept everyone here. Parkway Fellowship is a loving place. But you get it, right? It's the building up process, the creation of something new that adds to our life. It's exciting. And the Bible tells us that our encouraging words build each other up, just like these buildings. So when you speak happy, 
kind, encouraging words to your spouse or to your children, you are building them up. And who doesn't want to be told that they're beautiful or handsome every day? Anyone? Or smart? Or creative? Or lovely? Who doesn't want those things? You have the power to do that. And not just your family, your coworkers. You can build them up. This is such an amazing spreadsheet. And if you're a spreadsheet kind of person, you'll be like, oh yeah, I built that. You may not like spreadsheets, but delivering that encouragement can make their day. Now be careful, because that could mean that you get a lot of spreadsheets sent to you. But you can build people up with your words. What about the lady at the DMV, all right, who sits day after day and listens to people gripe at her? You can make her life better with some encouragement and some gratefulness and some kind words. Or your waiter. Now, don't just give your waiter verbal encouragement. They like a little of the green encouragement too. But have you ever complimented your waiter and then watched the service that you get after that? It gets better. You catch more flies with honey than vinegar, right? You tell your waiter they're doing a great job, they're going to do a better job because they want to be encouraged. I mean, it's a no-brainer to me when we look at our world. Just encourage and build up people around you. But yet we live in a world that is saturated with sarcasm and demeaning words and cut downs. It's everywhere. Now, many of you know I used to be a principal a few years ago, and actually less than a few years ago, a few months ago, I was a principal before I came to the park. And one of the things I noticed in the students at our school, our Christian school, was that students were mean to each other. The things that they would say were horrible, and it burdened me. So I started doing some research, trying to figure out what's going on, and why are they that way? And I noticed two main things. Number one, social media has removed the face-to-face component of talking to someone, and the text messages, and the tweets, and the subtweets, and Snapchats, and all of that that kids do. There's no consequences to what they say, so they just say it. And they haven't learned that social interaction. The other thing, which really kind of surprised me a little bit, was the media our kids are consuming are teaching them to be that way. So I did a little experiment, and I sat down and I watched. It was a, it was a popular show at the time. It was The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. It was actually a, a show that my kids watched. And so I sat, and I, I took a three-minute segment of The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody, just three minutes, and I counted 10 laughs. Every one of those laughs was generated by sarcasm or cutting one of the other characters down. Every one of them. Now, in the TV world, the characters' relationships aren't changed and aren't damaged by using words like that. They still end up friends and everybody's happy at the end of the show. That's what our kids are seeing. Now, we as adults know that TV world is not real. We know that that's not how it goes. But our kids are learning that the way to be funny, the way to fit in, is through sarcasm and cutting other people down. Parents, I implore you, look at the media that your kids are consuming and evaluate that. You may be surprised at the things that they're learning under the radar that you don't even know but it's coming out in who they are and how they act. And students, 
take an honest look. Not the, yeah, mom and dad, I'm going to do that. Not that honest look. Take an honest look at the TV you watch, the YouTube channels that you follow, the Instagram accounts that you follow, the Tumblrs you follow. Take an honest look at what's being poured into you. You will be surprised. So, I want to challenge you. Parents, will you create what I call an E-429 household? So now E-429 comes from Ephesians chapter 4. And it says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs so that it may benefit those who listen. Now, circle building others up. We're going to see that over and over, that it may build others up. So as a principal, I tried very hard to get our kids to build each other up, to get them to speak encouraging words. I'm trying to make it a game. I told them to memorize Ephesians 4.29, and then I would just randomly walk up to a kid and say, hey, can you tell me Ephesians 4.29? If they could, I put a $10 iTunes card in their hand. I know, you'd be surprised how many did not take me up on that. We made it a game one year where they could call an E-429 violation, like a referee throwing a flag, tweet, E-429 violation, and that was fun. But then, for a while, it fell off by the wayside because I realized that it was only a school thing. It wasn't happening in the other areas of their life, and especially at home. Because as an educator, I know that the number one influence in a child's life is what happens in the home. So parents, again, I will ask you, will you make the choice to make your home an E-429 zone? Just for a week. Let's try it for a week. No negativity, but only what is helpful for building others up. Now, you may say, oh, that's just how we talk to each other. There, we know we love each other. I want to encourage you. Give it a shot. One week. I guarantee you'll be surprised how your family turns out on the other end. So the second thing, before the second thing, <laughs> oops, um, so, Andrea and I, speaking of family, established early on in our marriage a no-name-calling rule. So, in our fights, no matter how upset with each other we were, we did not call each other names. Do not call each other names. So, as big of a jerk as I can be, she never once has called me a jerk. That rule has gone on in our family as we had kids, and it's expanded to not only to know name-calling, but also to know disparaging words, no mean comments. So our kids know that as mad as you get at the other person, you are not allowed to call them a name, and you are not allowed to say mean, unkind things to them. And if you do, you are in as much trouble as the other one was for whatever it was that they did to you. No name calling, no hurtful demeaning things. 
E429 household. Will you do that? Will you do it this week? Now moving on to number two. Your second fill-in. I can encourage by removing obstacles. I can encourage by removing obstacles. Look at what Isaiah 57, 14 says. And it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the road. Remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. And again we see, build up, circle that, build up, build up. You're seeing it over and over in scripture. Build up the people around you. Now specifically in this passage, the prophet is talking about removing stumbling blocks for people as they come to the Lord. And so for those of you in this room today who are not Christ followers, I want to take just a moment and remove obstacles for you. See, the Jesus of the Bible, he is a real person. He he was God's son, 100% God, 100% man. And every story about him in this book is true. He came to earth and he lived a life without sin. Sin is fault and shortcomings according to the Bible and we are filled with them. But he lived a life without them, died on a cross, And became the sacrifice for our sins. So that all we have to do to receive his forgiveness is believe that we have sinned. And we admit that to him. Ask for forgiveness. And then commit to follow him for the rest of our lives. That's all it takes. So at the bottom of your message notes, there's a a prayer on the backside that you can pray that will get you started on that journey of what it means to follow Christ. Because that's why we call ourselves Christ followers. We follow the Jesus of the Bible. On your way out, there's a new new believer packet you can take with you. And if you still have questions, come find me in the lobby or one of our other staff members. We would love the opportunity to sit with you and talk to you about what it means to actually become a Christ follower. Now, for those of you who are in this room, who are already Christ followers, I want to I say, I think that verse has a little more for us. Because removing obstacles for people allow them to follow the path that God has created for them. So let me give you an example. So many years ago, 21-ish to be exact, a very good friend of mine and a mentor back in college uh, removed some obstacles for me in the second most important decision I've ever made in my life, and that was to date my wife, Andrea. Now, I already knew that she was cute, and I already knew that I liked her, but I had this little list of things about her that made me hesitant to go out with her. Um, I know, that really makes me an idiot. If you know my wife, you know how dumb that is. But I had a list, and one of those was that she talked nonstop. (laughs) All right, in fact, here is a picture of her, her freshman year of college, She's the cute one, three from the left with a sweatshirt on that says, help, I'm talking and I can't shut up. (laughs) She earned that sweatshirt from her high school youth group who made it for her after a 17-hour bus ride to New Mexico. (laughs) There was no silent points with college-age Andrea. And you may or may not know this about me, but I'm an introvert. I want, I need, I crave quiet time. And it just didn't exist back then. And honestly, that was one of the things that I just, I wasn't going to go out with her. But a friend of mine and one of my mentors sat me down and we had a conversation and helped me realize just how silly 
that was. And the more I thought about it, and the more I prayed about it, I realized that, you know what? That is really a dumb reason not to go out with someone and give them a chance. So we started dating in September, got engaged in November, and we're married in the next June. I have learned so much from her. God has used her in amazing ways to soften some of my edges, to round me out a little bit. And I would have missed all of that had my friend and my mentor not sat me down and had a great conversation with me and helped remove those obstacles. Now, an important caveat right now is for you fixers out there, this is not your universal go get them and try and go fix everybody. All right, you have to stop short of making someone's decision for them. Be available to talk to them, to offer wisdom, to offer a new perspective, give them honest feedback, but you've got to stop short of making the decision. God gave everyone a brain, he gave everyone a desire and a will, and he created everyone for relationship with him, and it's up to God to tell them what to do, not you. So as much as you may believe that you can fix the world, like I believe that too, um, if the world would just listen to me, it would be a much better place. But as much as you may believe that, you can lead them down that path, but you can't make the decision. So right now, I want to pause for a moment, and I want to ask you to ask the Lord to reveal to you if there's someone in your life that you can remove some obstacles. Maybe you know of a job and you can connect someone else to a job and all they really need is just the introduction. Maybe someone needs some extra training or, or to go to a trade show and they just don't have the finances to do it, but you can help them with those finances. Or maybe someone has a great idea and they need to get a patent and they just, they can't build their, you know, the, the, the example that they need for the patent. Maybe you can help with that. Maybe you can just have an honest conversation with someone like my friend and like my mentor to help me see reasonably that all those little things that I had built up were really kind of silly. So if God has put someone on your thoughts and in your mind right now, I encourage you, take that next step. This week, initiate a conversation with that person and be a part of removing the obstacles so they can be who God called them to be. And the final thing, number three, it's your last fill-in of the day. I can encourage by my presence. I can encourage by my presence. You see, sometimes you don't have to say anything. Just being there. When you show up to someone's basketball game or baseball game or whatever, your presence is an encouragement. Have you seen kids' faces when you arrive? You're saying, I value you. I believe in you. And you're worth my time investment. And you don't have to say a word. And when tragedy happens, just being there is such an emotional support and encouragement to those people. And lots of times when people experience tragedy, we, we don't want to be there because we don't know what to say and we want to fix it. We want the hurt to go away, but the bottom line is we can't make the hurt go away. So when you go, I'm going to give you a little advice. 
please don't say some of the things like I heard recently when my grandmother passed away. Things like, well, I guess God just needed another angel with him up in heaven. Or she was so good, God wanted her up there to make heaven a better place. So, first off, not as only is the theology really bad, like not even close. But second off, that turns God into a selfish bully who takes what he wants and takes it from me so he can have it. And that's not who God is at all. So I know your heart is in the right place. You want to help. You want to encourage. But the best thing you can do is just be there and support. And at most, you can look at him and say, you know what? This reeks. I don't know why it happened, and I'm so sorry that it did. But I'm here for you, and we'll get through this together. You know, a great example of what, of just showing up and being there is in the book of Job. Job chapter 2. Verse 11 says, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namanite, Namathite, when they heard all that about the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Underline, no one said a word. They tore their robes, sprinkled dust on their head, which culturally that was a symbol of mourning. And they sat and they mourned and they grieved with him and no one talked. Except that's not how the story goes. They sat there for seven days, seven nights. They were great friends and great support until they opened their mouth. And then they spent the next 30 chapters of Job trying to convince him that all the calamity had happened to him. His family had died. His wealth was gone. His body was afflicted with sores. And they tried to convince him that that was his fault and he had sinned. And that's not what happened at all. How much better would this story have been if Job's friends had just sat there and said, Job, this reeks. I'm so sorry that it happened, but I'm here with you, and we'll do this together. I have a good friend named Karen Porter who had a friend that lost their husband unexpectedly, and she wanted to go over and be with that friend, and, and Karen could very easily have worn Andrea's help, I'm talking, and I can't shut up sweatshirt. She's that kind of person, but she went over to her friend's house, and she just sat. For like three hours, they sat together and didn't talk. And Karen said, I just, I felt compelled to pray for her. And I prayed, God, will you please just share my faith with her? Because I know you have a plan, and she needs to know that too. Sounded almost like a silly prayer. Hey, God, share my faith. How's that going to happen? But she sat, and she prayed it to herself. A few weeks later, in visiting with that friend, she found out. That friend said, you know what? When you came over to my house, it just really encouraged me. And it made my faith in God's plan stronger. And she didn't have to say a word. All she had to do was be there. Encouragement is a gift which basically costs us nothing but is invaluable to the people that we encourage. Imagine what kind of a family, what kind of a church or city, state, nation, world This would be if Christians intentionally made every effort to encourage 
those around them. Imagine the hurt that would disappear. Imagine the pain that would be gone. Imagine the amount of people that would see that and be drawn to it and want to find out more and find Jesus Christ because we were an encouraging people. Make every effort to bring peace and encouragement. Pray with me. Father, you have given us such an amazing power to love each other and to build each other up through encouragement. God, even when the situations around us are hurtful and and they seem hopeless, God, you give us the gift of encouragement through you. Father, I pray that everyone in this room, everyone who's hearing this message online, God, I pray that they will be encouraged and that they in turn will begin to encourage others and that it becomes a snowball that rolls bigger and bigger and faster and faster as the days go by, Lord, till your world is filled with Christians who show love to your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.